Okay, my name is Melanie, if I haven't met you before. Um, I'm married to Stuart, moved up here on the church plant a few years ago. Um, I could tell you in a nutshell the things I care about. So, um, I care about people meeting Jesus and meeting the real Jesus and having an authentic encounter with him that totally wrecks their lives so that you can see that they know Jesus. I love, um, in the book of Acts, there's comments that where the people knew the disciples had been with Jesus. There was like this little kind of rumour going around, they're the ones who've been with Jesus. And I just feel so passionately about us being a people who people would say of us, they're the ones who've been with Jesus. And I feel strongly about how people come to know Jesus, um, what their first year looks like. I feel strongly about people being able to access all the good stuff that Jesus has on offer. So being able to hear from him, read their Bibles. I I literally want to cry when I hear people say the Bible's boring because I think you're reading the wrong book. I I just want to cry when people say, oh, Christianity didn't really work for me because I think, well, you didn't really meet the real Jesus and you're not really reading the proper book. And I feel really strongly about those things. And so when I speak today out of this passage, I'm hoping that some of that passion will come through. I'm going to say some stuff I'm pretty sure that that you may find a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit offensive or may even cause you to question some things in yourself. Um, If you want to chat to me afterwards, that's absolutely fine. Um, I think I'll probably say some stuff about what it looks like when people come to know Christ um, that you might feel a touch uncomfortable with. I feel like sometimes we've made the gospel and encountering Jesus too small Because it's a free gift, we've turned it into a rubbish gift sometimes. So you know when you get something for free, you always think, well, it's probably going to be a bit rubbish. So if you get a free toy in the cereal box, it's going to break pretty quickly. If someone offers you something free when you're out and about, you think, well, it's probably a bit cheap, a bit rubbish. I sometimes feel like in explaining Jesus to be a free gift, in explaining the gospel to be free, we've accidentally communicated that it's easy, that it's not worth much, that it's, well, whatever, it's a free gift. Try it out if you want to. If it doesn't work, chuck it away. I kind of feel like sometimes we've communicated that in our desire to be seeker-friendly, to be welcoming, we've sometimes made the gospel dumber than it is. And so I just really, what I want to do this morning is encourage us to go after the things that Jesus wants us to go after. So when I read the Great Commission, I feel like those are the things that Jesus has said, I want you to go after these things. So I'm going to read from Matthew 28. I'm going to read the whole chapter because I I think sometimes you can read little chunks of the gospel and decide what's going on before you've put it back into the chapter, back into the book and back into the whole Bible. And I feel like the... The Great Commission is a bit, little bit like that. Everyone goes, oh yeah, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's turned into a little bit of a twee song that we can just all, you know, just get out whenever we like instead of being something that is immensely powerful. And for the hearers, thoroughly life-changing. You have to remember the last time they saw Jesus Christ, he was on a cross dying. 
and, and all hope was lost. And then he's standing there. You, like, you have to remember that when you read the Great Commission. You have to remember the last time they saw him, he was covered in blood, beaten to death, and looked like it was the end of everything they'd hoped and wished for. Looked like, basically, their, their hero, their crusade was all over. And then he's standing there. And then he's saying, do this. Man, I would be listening to that like nothing else. I would be thinking, last time I saw you, you were bruised, battered, on a cross, like, like bad. Now you're standing here in all power and all authority commissioning me. I would be listening so differently to that. So I'm going to read Matthew 28. If you've got your Bible with you, great. If you lost it on the way here, I printed it out for you. Matthew 28, now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Madeline and the other Mary, (laughs) um, sorry, that always makes me chuckle, the other one, the other Mary, uh, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I just love that, sat on it. Just rolled it back and was like, I'm just going to take a perch here. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And then they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did what they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This story still gets told this day. And now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. I want to look at three things out of this brilliant bit of scripture. I want to look at what it means to go. I want to look at what are disciples like? So when Jesus says make disciples, I want to look at what they're like. And then I want to look at what it means that, by the way, Jesus is coming too. Almost a PS at the end of the passage. PS, I'll come with you. So I'm asking you to do all this and I'll come too. And then I want to look at what we do as a response out of this. So when I read my Bible, I'm always asking myself questions. So I read my Bible a little bit like a journalist, like I'll be looking through it and going, what about this, what about that, what's going on there, who's that? 
Why are they saying that? Who's standing there? Who's listening? So I love it. I love little bits that you pick out when you read the Bible. So the guards saw the angel and were terrified and they stood as if dead men. The women had a little chat. I love that. I think the women, the women were like, oh, great, angels. They were afraid, but they were talking to them. The guards stood as if dead. They couldn't even speak. The women were like, okay. The women were then trusted with this amazing bit of news. Go and tell the disciples that he has risen. Uh, Little bits, I just read in and go, I love that. I love that the angel rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Like, just thought, well, I'm just going to take a seat here. I don't mean to stand. I'm just showing you that Jesus has risen, that he's no longer here. You feel this almost little bit relaxed nature about the angel. He's like, yep, he said he wouldn't be here. Surprise, he's not here. This kind of quite chilled, and yet they're terrified. I, I just love little bits and pieces that I go, well, who else was there? Why were they there? What's going on? So I would be asking straight away, who is telling me to go? So if I was to say, Betty, go now to, let me think of somewhere, Perth, go. I don't think Betty's going Betty's to run home and pack her bags right now. Why? I mean, I'd like to go to Perth, but why? Because she would look at me and think, who are you to tell me to go and pack my bags? Who are you to tell me where I'm going to live, where my family are going to live, and what I'm going to do? And she would be right. But the disciples were looking at Jesus. And the last time they saw Jesus, he was on a cross, bleeding, dying. He'd given up his last breath. He'd shouted out to heaven... And they had fled. So they were terrified. They'd seen their saviour, their leader, their hope die. This was not, even though he'd said it over and over again, this was not what they had in their minds. You can tell that by their response to it. By Peter denying he even knows him. These are a frightened bunch of men and women who fled as their saviour gave up his last breath. And now he's standing there. And now he's dressed, he's got no blood on him. He would wear the scars forever. So Revelation tells us that. He would wear the scars of his victory on the cross. But he's standing there, breathing, talking, commissioning them. I would be asking, who is telling me to go? And if it was the risen Jesus, I'd be listening to that. I would be thinking to myself, well, he has already proved that everything he said happens. He's already proved that to me. I've seen him heal the blind. I've seen him make the lame walk. I've seen him die and then come back to life. I've seen him raise the dead. I've seen him multiply food over and over again. I've seen him walk on water, silence the storm. I've seen him deal with the adulteress. I've seen him deal with the prostitute. I've seen him deal with the tax collector. I know this man and he was dead and now he's alive. I would be listening differently. And that's when we read our Bibles, we have to listen differently. We have to listen in the light of knowing a saviour who's alive, in the light of knowing that everything he says happens. So everything he has said, if it has not already happened, will happen. We have to listen differently when he says go. I'd next be asking, go where? 
And I love that he says, go to the nations. Because basically, in one word, he's saying, go everywhere to everyone. Mate, do not discriminate. Do not miss out places. Do not think it's too dark, too dirty, too far. Do not think they have an accent you wouldn't like your kids growing up with. Do not think that you may have neighbours who are not as well presented as you. Do not think that the schools might not be good enough. Do not think these things go to the nations, which in one word means go everywhere. Go everywhere and tell everyone, which is an amazing commission to be given, and it's still our commission today. Go everywhere, tell everyone, which means when I'm walking down the street, when I'm in my workplace, when I'm at home, when I've got friends around, when I'm on the phone, when I'm conversing with strangers, they're the nations. It's everybody. And we know if you read to the end of the book that what is seen in heaven is every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, that there's no discrimination in heaven. That, that there is every type of person, every colour of person, every language that it all exists, every social class. And in that context, none of it matters. So no one stands there with their fancy cars or fancy houses or dirty clothes or bad schools or whatever. No one stands there with any of that. Everyone's dressed in a white robe praising the only thing that matters. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, go to the nations and get me what I want in heaven. Get me the people. Get me the things that I most desire, that I came here for, that I died for. I would then be asking, when do I go? So do I go when I've been on an, a training course that they run in church, a six-week course to get me ready to tell my story? Do I go when I've been a Christian long enough that I've got something to share? Do I go when I've read my entire Bible? So when I've read it from start to finish, do I go then? Do I go when I've done leadership training? Do I go when I've finished my career? Do I go when I've had my babies because then I'll have a nice group of friends that I can spend time with? When do I go? He later says at the start of the book of Acts, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, go. And that's it. And I think some of the most amazing people I've seen witness about what Jesus is like have been saved five minutes ago. Because they have a current story where they've just met Jesus. And if we're not careful, we start to communicate to people hold on a minute, wait till you know a bit more, have heard a bit more and seen a bit more. But sometimes when we know a bit more, we've heard a bit more, we've seen a bit more, we manage to dumb it down a bit more. And we manage to convince ourselves that actually it's not quite the right timing for my friend to hear the gospel or come to church. Or, and we manage to talk ourselves out of way more. So I am very keen on new Christians sharing their stories for many reasons. But I think actually... They, they haven't spent enough time around us being told that they should wait. They hear go. I remember when I first got saved, I remember reading stuff like this and being annoyed at how apathetic everyone was around me. I remember thinking, the Bible says go. Why aren't you going? I remember being really annoyed at Sunday mornings. Like, I'm just putting it out there. I would think, why are we sitting in here singing and talking about something that we've been told to go out there and do something with? I've obviously, you know, matured slightly and understand that the Bible 
honours Sunday gatherings and pulling the people together and getting us strengthened up so that we can get out there. Not so that I can go to work, I can get on with this, so that I can be out there an effective witness and do the Great Commission stuff. So go, it's Jesus talking here and it's the risen one. Where? Everywhere. Anywhere you are. So it says, it says how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. So wherever your feet are, go there. Go there and preach good news. Be beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It is one of the most beautiful things to tell someone about Jesus and have them accept him as their saviour. Like there is honestly nothing like it. If you have never had that privilege or that pleasure of introducing someone else to Jesus, I thoroughly recommend it. It does your faith good like nothing else. Seeing someone else encounter the man that you have given your whole life over to. It's mind-blowing. When, once you're full of the Holy Spirit, I almost feel a little warning for us of not to be arrogant and go out in our own strength, not to leave our homes thinking that we've got it covered because we're so clever. Actually being full of the Holy Spirit before we leave the house, thinking to yourself, it's as critical to me as going out with my clothes on and I would never not get dressed in the morning. It's as critical to the lost, it's as critical to me as getting dressed in the morning. So make disciples. What are disciples like? When you read that, when you say, therefore go and make disciples... What are they like? So this is the bit where you're going to talk to me because I'm already bored of my voice. So you're going to tell me what disciples like. Will you bear in mind that when you say what a disciple's like and you know Jesus, you're talking about yourself. So if you say daily disciples move in the miraculous, you are talking about you, all right? So it's going to appear up on the screen as if by magic. Um, what you shout out. So you tell me what are disciples like. So when Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples, what's he talking about? People who follow Jesus. I would like someone to use a really big word that is really hard to spell, all right? I'll, I'll lob some out there if you're struggling. It's coming, don't worry. People who follow Jesus. What else? What do disciples look like? How do you know a disciple if you meet one? They act the way that Jesus would act. So they act like Jesus. They imitate Jesus. They know Jesus, yes. They leave everything for the gospel. They leave everything for the gospel, yes. Come on, there's a, there's a giveaway in the passage. They're baptised. Ding, 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 ding. They're baptised in water. They're baptised in water. Disciples of Jesus. 
be it a muddy river, be it a swimming pool, be it a bath in your bathroom, they're baptised in water. A hot tub. They've got a story to tell. Yes, they do. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Full of the Holy Spirit. They're teachers. Yes. They teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Yes. They're teachers. They're students as well. Yep. They're always learning. Yep. They're sinful and they know they're sinful. So these are people who still get it wrong. Just look at the disciples. Like, if you ever feel like, man, I've got it wrong, I would suggest reading. Just Peter. Just have a look at Peter and go, actually, I'm probably doing okay. Yep. They're ordinary. Yep. they're ordinary yes they encourage people to go deeper with Jesus brilliant they use their natural talents yeah brilliant They're part of the community. Yes, they are. Yeah. Pardon? Part of the church. Yeah. They care for one another. Yes, they do. Yep, they're looking to see the kingdom of God come. So healing, salvation, deliverance. They lay their hands on the sick and they're healed. I'm going to throw in a couple. They read their Bibles. So how would, would we know to obey what Jesus commanded if we're not reading the book that he's written? They pray. They cast out demons. They go to they go to heaven. Yes, they do. Come on. Lovely. Is that enough? Pardon? They fail. Yes, they do. How liberating is that? They have victories, so they fail and they have victories. Yes, they do. Anything else? I think I would just throw in they are sometimes confused by what Jesus says to them or said to them. Lovely. I, I was going to ask it to be left up there. But um, when, it, when it's... Lovely, thank you. 
that can stay out there. I would like to read you a story of someone I know who came to know Jesus, um, uh, just because I would like to be able to illustrate um, what it's like to know Jesus. Um, and most of you have heard my story many times, so I thought, I, I, I asked this to my friend Rachel. She lives now in Solihull. I knew her when I was in St. Neots. So I, she's written her story out for me. I've got permission from her to use her name and to read her story. So this is Rachel's story. Um, I became a Christian at the age of 21. Uh, For what it's worth, I became a Christian at the age of 21. I have since seen many people come to know Jesus in their early 20s. Often your own story gets replicated in the lives of others. So if you have a story where you grew up knowing God and that had a powerful impact on your life, often you will see kids or your own kids or you'll see your story replicated. Um, If you have a story where you got saved in your teens, often there's a grace on you to see your story replicated. My mum and stepdad were saved in their 40s. They've seen their story replicated. So often there's a grace on you for your own story. So I'm just putting that out there. So Rachel, I became a Christian at the age of 21 after being incredibly nosy. I was a student veterinary nurse working with a Christian vet called Becky. She was fun, trendy and genuinely lovely and I was curious that she was a Christian and went to church and I asked if I could come along to her cell group to see if the rumours of her having no TV were true. They weren't. I also got to know another couple in their church called Stuart and Melanie after their cats were treated at our vet practice. Becky and I had to meet them at the church office to give them some news and I remember being struck by how lovely and graceful, obviously, they were, and how shocked I was that two young people were working for a church and were so passionate about church. After meeting Christians at cell and through work, I was instantly aware that there was something different about them. They were warm, friendly, welcoming, and lots of fun, and I enjoyed their company so much that I started attending their church, Open Door. I wanted to see if the sermons... Uh, what the sermons were like for myself that were discussed in cell group. I loved the worship, I loved learning more about this big God and how much he loved me, and I felt a real sense of belonging in the church. I wanted to know more, so I began a start course. We used to run those, those were like a basic foundations course. And on week three, it all made sense to me, and I decided to give my life to the Lord. I asked the girls, Mel, Becky and Emma, to pray with me one Sunday morning, We all went outside and prayed on the grass in the most glorious sunshine. It was a truly beautiful moment that happened in May 2004. I was then baptised on the 4th of July that year. My relationship with Jesus was a whirlwind. He swept me off my feet when I was down and out and he gave me not only my salvation but wonderful friends and a firm foundation on which to build my faith. Since then... um, I started singing in a choir at King's Community Church after I relocated to Wolverhampton to be near to family. Our church hosted a David Carr Ministry of Power event at Wolverhampton Civic Hall and I sang in the choir. This is how I first came to know about David Carr and Renewal Church and this is the church that led Dave and I, Dave's her husband, to serve in after we met on a Christian dating website. I, I want to commend 
um, Christian dating websites. We have now one, two, three, four. We've got six lots of friends who met on Christian dating websites. So if you're sitting in here thinking, oh my gosh, what a sad story. Their stories are out of this world amazing. They, all of those guys now have kids of their own, are serving wildly in local churches. Like God can do all sorts. In fact, our second date was attending this event in the congregation when I wasn't singing. Now I serve in the choir and I'm part of one of the worship bands at Renewal. I volunteer in Tiny Time, our church-rang mother and toddler group. Dave is selected for leadership training in our church. Since his graduation, Dave and I have become regional overseers for Birmingham East and we look after pastoral deacons and connect facilitators in this area. I'm so grateful for all the prayers, love and support given to me during those early days and I'm so proud to be walking with Jesus and serving his church with my husband and two beautiful sons in Birmingham nine years on. The reason I wanted to read Rachel's story is because I want to say to us, this is what disciples look like. So you can see them nine years later running after Jesus. Why? Because they've actually met Jesus. They've actually had their lives thoroughly transformed by him. They've actually decided to make different decisions based on knowing him. What grieves me more than anything else in our kind of churches is that we've gone after numbers, hands raised, prayers prayed and not disciples. And disciples look different to someone who is just willing to pray a prayer. So someone who is willing to pray a prayer isn't always someone who is going to give their whole lives to following Jesus Christ. And I want to flag it up to us in our early days as a church because I know that when we're sitting, 20 of us, 30 of us, 40 of us, 50 of us, numbers feel like they really matter. They feel really essential to us. It feels like every time we grow by 10, we grow by 10, we go, we're like, yes, 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 yes. I want us to remember what Jesus felt passionate about and what he died for. He died for disciples. He did not die for bums in seat, prayers prayed, numbers on a tick list. What we do know about the gospel is that in heaven there will be a great multitude that no one can count. So we're not talking about small churches. We're not talking about small numbers of people coming to Christ. But if we make the numbers our focus, we will lose sight and dilute the gospel and we will compromise on the things that really matter. So I want to hold up to us what we're going after. I want to plead with you that if you are leading someone to Christ, make sure they know what they're saying yes to. Make sure they understand that what we're talking about is a life that gets thoroughly transformed. We're talking about a free gift that will cost you everything you have ever had and will ever hold dear. So we are talking about something that will cost you everything but it is free. And and I would love us to be a local church that sees people come through to Christ. I remember that moment on the grass with Rachel so well because I said to her, now Rachel, if you want to come to know Christ, we would love you to talk to him and invite him into your life. She said, I can't do that. I said, you're not ready then. And I remember the other girls thinking, oh my gosh. Like, what are you doing? 
If you're not ready to pray a prayer out loud, you are not ready to lay your life down for someone. If you're not ready to invite Jesus into your life yourself, you're not ready to stand up for him in the workplace, to, stand, to go home and tell people you've become a Christian. And I sometimes feel like we rush that point because we've decided that the most important thing is that I can say someone became a Christian rather than I can say I'm making disciples. So I'm holding it up and pleading with us. Let's be a local church that go after disciples. Let's be a local church that care about the things that Jesus cares about. Let's be a local church that arm people with Bibles and say, read this, get to know him. Let's be a local church that care more about the following day, the day after that and the day after that, rather than the point where someone prays. Uh, If I'm honest, I I really encourage people to pray their own prayer out loud, partly because they are beginning a relationship with someone. And if they cannot talk to that person, we're in trouble. I want to make prayer a really easy thing that they've done right from the beginning. I also pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit then and there. And I think, well, why not? Like, they're, they're open to Jesus. They want to know him more. Why don't we send them out with their clothes on rather than naked? Why don't we send them out in power rather than, off you go and let's see how you get on with Satan? Like, why don't we give them a fighting chance? It's what you do when a baby's born. A physical baby, you think to yourself, they're cold. Let's, they've been in a womb. They've been carefully... Let's get some clothes on them. Let's get a hat on their head. Let's get them clothed so that they stand a chance of surviving. I feel the same. I think let's get people clothed so that they stand a chance of surviving. And lastly, by the way, I'm coming with you too. What this actually means is when you step out and go and make disciples, Jesus rushes in right next to you. So you make this brave step and go, I'll tell my story, and Jesus goes, and you go, I'll pray for the sick, and Jesus goes, he's like there. And what it actually means is that the Holy Spirit rushes in with all his stuff, with all his ability to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. With all that gear, Jesus rushes in right next to you every time you step. So he comes with power, with insight, with authority, with victory. So we're not talking about a disciple rushing in next to us who's got failings and weaknesses. We're talking about Jesus rushing in next to us who every time he prayed for the sick, people were well who every person he encountered who reached out to him to be made whole were made whole. We're talking about that God rushing in next to us who comes with compassion. So you might think to yourself, I don't have what it takes to be compassionate to that kind of a person. I'm much better with this kind of person. Well, it's really fortunate that you've got Jesus because he is really compassionate with everyone. He's brilliant with everybody. So you come into a situation you think, I'm lacking here. Well, it's really good that he says, I'm not. 
So you think, I don't have a heart for these people. Well, good job Jesus is there because he has a heart for every type of person. You think, that's not the kind of mummy I thought I would be reaching. That's not the kind of person I thought I would live next to. That's not the kind of stranger that I thought I'd have an encounter with. It's very fortunate that Jesus is right there next to you with all that you need, all the compassion you need, all the insight you need, everything. So you then look at your friend next to you and draw on them. You go, actually, I don't have what it takes to do this. I'll have that, thank you very much. He comes with forgiveness, which you can offer on his behalf, but you have no power to forgive. You have no power to forgive people's sins, to make them right with God. He has it. So you draw on him. He comes with salvation. You think to yourself, this person's too far, too dark, too difficult, too whatever. Jesus bolts himself next to you and says, it's fine, I died on a cross. You're joking me that there's no one I can't reach. I did all of that for that person. So you put limits on the gospel. He stands next to you and places no limits. It's why it's essential that we're full of the Holy Spirit. He comes with conviction. You don't need to guilt trip anyone into coming to know Jesus. You don't need to tell them how sinful they are, how awful they are, how much they need a saviour. Jesus does a really good job of that. So when I first got saved, no one sat me down. I'm really glad they didn't because I would have been out the door as quick as a flash. No one sat me down and said, you drink too much. You swear too much. You have relationships that do not honour Jesus and way too many of them. You are rude. You don't dress appropriately. Sometimes we see way more than we would like. I am so glad no one sat me down and said that. No one sat me down in church and said, right, now you're saved, your language is filthy, your life is filthy, sort your hair out, cover yourself up. I'm really glad. Do you know who did that for me? The Holy Spirit. And watching the lives of other people. I noticed within weeks, no one used the F word in my church. They did not speak like that. I did. They didn't. Very quickly, I was like, oh, this must be offensive. Overnight, I stopped. Every so often now, you know, something will crop up where, you know, you tread on a plug or something and a choice word pops out. It is so rare, I can probably count on one hand. I used to use those kind of words every other. It is very quick that you work out this community does not live like this. This God does not honour this. So it's not our job to convict people of their sin. It's our job to make disciples and teach them. But actually the Holy Spirit does an amazing job. When we step out, when we tell our stories, when we go for it, the Holy Spirit is so quick to come next to us with all of that kind of stuff. Jesus even rushes in next to us with faith. So people sometimes don't even look like they're going to get saved. Have you seen that? Where, where someone becomes a Christian and you think, I had no idea that was going on. That's because the Holy Spirit deposits faith in, and it is like that. And once faith has been deposited, people have no choice but to respond to Jesus. The Bible's really clear about that. Once faith has been deposited, you you can't stop yourself. Once you've met him, you have to follow through. 
So when we step, all the good stuff rushes in right next to us. So you don't have to read more books, learn more stuff, listen to more sermons in order to step out and go and make disciples. What you do have to do is trust that all the good stuff is rushing in next to you. What you do have to do is care about what Jesus cares about, which is disciples. Not decisions made, disciples made. Not numbers racked up on a sheet, but actual people that you can see honouring, serving Jesus years down the line. When I reflected on Rachel's story, I remembered that was a small group that we were a part of um, where we saw three of our friends come to know Christ. It is by far the greatest small group I've ever been in. Sorry about my existing small group. In that small group, we saw three of our friends come to know Jesus. We multiplied that small group because of salvation. It, It was just excellent. All three people, I can tell you where they are now and what they're doing in order to honour God. They're disciples. They're not people that you go, oh, remember that person? Uh, Don't know where they are, don't know what they're doing, don't know if they even made it past a week. But remember that prayer we prayed, it was brilliant. They're not those people. They're the people who you know made a commitment to Jesus and you can see them and you can go look at their lives. So what do you do now? I'm going to make some suggestions. And you might look at me and think, I'm doing all of those things brilliant. Just please keep going. Some of these things you might want to jot down because you might think, actually, I'm not doing that or I'm not doing that or I'm not doing any of them. It's fine. It doesn't matter whatever place you're in. What I would suggest is don't stay there. So if you're smug and you're doing it all, do some more. If you're struggling and think, I don't really know where I'm at with it, just pick one and have a go. So I would say stand still and learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would make a deal with God that you don't intend to leave your house, leave church on a Sunday, leave your small group until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I would say to your life group leader, by the way, every week my expectation is that I will have an encounter with God here. And I don't want to leave your home until that's happened. I would make your time out with Jesus, whether it's five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, I would make a deal and say, Jesus, I don't intend leaving here until I've actually met you. I do not want to be someone who just reads my Bible and goes through the the motions. I want to be someone who actually encounters you. So if it takes me half an hour, an hour, two hours, I wouldn't leave this house without my clothes on today. And then I would say, get out. And get out anywhere. So don't stay full of the Holy Spirit, full of truth, full of good stuff and keep it to yourself. Get out somewhere. So this afternoon, get out in the park. Get out in your workplaces, get out in your homes, get out somewhere and talk to people, interact with people, see what God might like to do. Just get out somewhere. I think it's the worst, the most tragic thing to have all this good news and contain it in these four walls or contain it in here. And both are important. You cannot love the lost and not love Christians. Like, quite honestly, that is ridiculous. Because actually you're loving the lost in order that they might become Christians and then you won't like them anymore. Ridiculous. Jesus is after disciples. So in loving the lost, your heart and desire is that they become a part of a community where they worship, love Jesus, read their Bibles. That's our heart for disciples. So get out somewhere. It doesn't matter where. Anywhere. Get out and do something. I would say watch out. 
So watch out for things that God is up to. People that you think, something's going on there. Something's going on there. What's happening there? So three times now, I've met one of my neighbours who, who just makes a point of cutting across two drives to come and say hello to me. Something's going on there. She can just wave. I know something's going on there. I'm watching out and going, uh, something's going on here. There's, there's a reason for this. Why we just keep connecting. There's a reason. Just watch out for things. Uh, listen up. So listen to what people are saying. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Just learn that. I, I, I'm a fine one to talk. I've said the kids can just come in. So I, I will cope with their noise. Just listen up to what the Holy Spirit's saying. So little bits and pieces that you think, what's that? What's going on there? Just listen and respond. Reach in to people's lives. So whoever God has placed you around, reach in in some way. So serve them, love them, honour them, encourage them, be helpful, send texts, do whatever to reach out to people so that they can actually see what kind of a God we serve. And then I would say open wide. I, really, I wanted to say open your mouth. Open your mouth. We are never, ever going to see the gospel proclaimed if we don't start proclaiming it. If we don't start telling people so people can come amongst our community and feel welcomed, loved, accepted, yada, 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 they can still go to hell at the end of that. What we want is for people to see a welcoming, warm, loving community and then join the dots when they hear about Jesus. And think to yourself, that person knows Jesus and I can see it in their lives. So we're supposed to help people join the dots and say this is a community of people that are thoroughly, completely transformed by Jesus Christ. Take a look at our lives and then take a look at our gospel. So I'm going to ask us to stand now. I just want to pray for us to be those who go and make disciples. I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus is with us, which is staggering and out of this world amazing. And that every time you step, he steps with you. Every time you reach out your hand, he rushes straight in next to you. So I'm going to pray for us.